This is Matt Neely, and you're listening to the Titans Film Room Podcast. Welcome into the Titans Film Radio Podcast. Today we recap the Titans Panthers game, and then we talked about some Mariota Tannehill stuff. James had a, a lot to say there. And finally, we asked some questions that needed to be asked about Mike Brabel and John Robinson and the job that people are doing with this team and uh, had some some talk about where we go with the future of the, of the franchise. Did I leave anything out? No, that's pretty much it. I'm glad we waited today. I finally stopped crying just this morning. So, By the way, if you watch the game and you don't need a recap, skip past the first like 12 minutes because I just talked about the game for 12 minutes. Okay, here we go. Well, the same as it is every week. We'll try to get the run game going. We're going to try to use it, play action pass. Unfortunately, we turned the ball over, um, which was the play action pass that was called. Led to a huge turnover. Um, and then when you get to the end of the first half, um, you're in two-minute drill. And so you know, that, that's where we're at with you know, Derek's usage. And- Mike Vrabel letting us know that the game plan is the same every week run the ball and get play action going what do you think of that uh okay when when does the scoring start when does the running the ball start in the second half well they (laughs) ran it to Deion lewis didn't they oh okay of course we're talking about the titans panthers game the titans go on the road to carolina they get embarrassed the final score was 30 to 20 but the game never really felt that close Honestly, felt like Carolina was dominating when they were winning early in the game, like three to zero. <laughs> but the final score, the Titans got a late touchdown to kind of make it closer, and then they had a chance. I mean, they had a they had a chance for a miracle at the end. Why don't I start at the beginning though? I'll just recap the game for anyone who missed it really quick. If you watch the game and don't need the recap, feel free to skip ahead a couple minutes. So the Titans won the toss and elected to defer. Ryan Suckup. Kicked off in the after one first down, a third and eight conversion. The Titans did manage to get a stop on a nice pass defensive play by Kevin Byard, and they took over. But they didn't get anything out of the next drive, despite a 42-yard pass interference penalty on a deep shot to Tajay Sharp. They couldn't convert a third and 14 after a sack on second down. The Panthers um, were stopped on a third down when Kevin Byard recovered a fumble in the Christian McCaffrey. Uh, fumbled and Rashawn Evans was uh, flagged for illegal use of hands. So it was a automatic first down for the Panthers, no fumble. But not to worry, just a few plays later on third and nine, Kenny Vaccaro tipped a pass that Harold Landry managed to intercept uh, on a diving play after he dropped down back into coverage and the Titans got that turnover that they missed out on a few plays earlier. But couldn't capitalize. Um, after the Titans handed to Derrick Henry, he ran for 13 yards, but they got backed up um, on a penalty on Taylor Lewan for holding. The next play, they got a nice pass up to, to Lewis, but uh, it was ruled um, that Taylor Lewan was illegal hands to the face or face masking his opponent, so there was another penalty. And then uh, they managed to get the ball up um, a, a few yards on a pass to Adam Humphreys. It was a pretty nice play, but it was just too insurmountable after all the three straight penalties. Um, Nate Davis committed a penalty as well. So they punted it back to the Panthers. And after a big pass play to Curtis Samuel downfield, um, they managed to get down 
to the nine-yard line of the Titans, but that's when Harold Landry came up with his second big play of the game, sacking Kyle Allen and forcing a field goal. Panthers would take the lead 3-0. to zero. Titans got the ball. Finally, a chance to get something going. Henry um, had a 13-yard carry on his last touch that was called back for penalty. So what do they do when they come out on this drive? Well, of course, Deion Lewis is in the backfield. On the first play, it's a nice screen pass on a, a little tunnel screen to A.J. Brown that was pretty nicely designed and well-blocked. A.J. Brown got out for 23 yards. And then Deion Lewis took a couple handoffs. And on the second one, he fumbled. And the Panthers took over at their own 42-yard line. Titans forced a quick three and out there, which was crucial. But unfortunately, on the next possession, Ryan Tannehill throws over the middle to A.J. Brown, doinks off his hands, deflects up into the air, and the defensive back, who was right behind him, A.J. Brown wide open, Defensive back who was behind him, able to pick the ball off. And the Titans were actually flagged for two penalties on this play. A.J. Brown was flagged for offensive pass interference, which is how he got wide open. And Corey Davis uh, face-masked the defender when he tackled him. So the Panthers were able to take over at the Tennessee 15-yard line. And the defense came up big with a third-down stop. The Panthers went for it on fourth down and found a wide-open Christian McCaffrey in the end zone. I don't know how the one player you let get wide open is. I mean, there should be three guys on Christian McCaffrey, especially on a fourth down play. But, alas, he was wide open in the end zone, and the Panthers would take a 10-0 lead. Titans really needed to get something going on offense. Playing against uh, one of the worst run defenses in the league, the 32nd-ranked one, according to defensive DVOA, coming into this game. So what do they do? Why, of course, they go three straight passes, incomplete to Jonu Smith. Ryan Tannehill's scramble, which was a pass play that he scrambled on, and then an incomplete pass to A.J. Brown on third and eight. Titans, another three and out, would punt it right back. So the Panthers had a chance to really make things interesting now. Seven minutes left in the second quarter, and they managed to rip off a 12-play, 90-yard drive that ends in a touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel from Kyle Allen. 17-0 now. 58 seconds left in the half. The Titans have the two-minute drive going. Corey Davis finally gets his first target. Made a nice diving catch coming back to the ball for Ryan Tannehill for an 11-yard play. Titans actually managed to drive down the field. They got into field goal range, and then they did a bizarre sequence of events on a couple of consecutive plays. They lost a total of nine yards. The first one was Ryan Tannehill throwing a swing pass to Deion Lewis, who stepped out of bounds two yards behind the line of scrimmage. I don't know. The next play, Ryan Tannehill... Snapping the ball from the Carolina 31-yard line, that's 48-yard field goal from that distance, took a 7-yard sack, one of the things that Mariota had done that people had been very frustrated with, pushing back a makeable field goal into very difficult range. Ryan Suckup came out for a 56-yard field goal and was way short. Without that sack, the ball probably sneaks in, and uh, the Titans would have gone to half 17-3. Could have made a big difference later on in the game. So, luckily, the Titans did get the ball to start the second half. So it wasn't all lost. And on a driver, they ran the ball on every single play, all eight of them. Granted, one of them was a Ryan Tannehill scramble. They went for 25 yards, but the other seven plays were handoffs to Derrick Henry and the drive ended in an eight-yard touchdown run to cut the Panthers' lead 17-7. Defense needed a big stop and they came out and forced a three and out. But on fourth and four from their own 36-yard line, The Panthers fake a punt, and despite Dane Cruikshank and David Long getting to the ball carrier behind the line to gain, the Panthers players pushed their their runner across the first down marker 
and they got a first down. From there, the Panthers would go on to drive all the way down to the one-yard line where a Christian McCaffrey one-yard rush put the lead up to 24-7. to What did the Titans do next? Why, of course, they went three and out. One of those three plays included a uh, sack for seven yards. Another was a deep shot to Tajay Sharp. Of course, this offense is going to work. Panthers take over up 24-7. There, the Titans defense would step up and force a quick three and out, and the Titans then managed an eight-play, 94-yard drive. After Adam Humphreys called a fair catch at his own six-yard line, the Titans managed to drive down the field, eight plays, 94 yards in just three minutes, keyed by a couple of big plays, one to Adam Humphrey for 25 yards, one to A.J. Brown for 35 yards on a really nice deep pass to, to the rookie receiver. And Derrick Henry took a 23-yard screen off of a fake screen one direction. Tannehill came back the other way and hit Henry on the screen, and he took it all the way into the end zone to make it 24-14 with 14 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Ten points, not an insurmountable game at all. Until the Panthers got the ball back and Christian McCaffrey ran 58 yards to the end zone, pretty much untouched. Rashawn Evans was not where he needed to be on that play and the Panthers would have the extra point actually blocked and take a 30-14 to 14 lead with just 10 minutes to go. So pretty much hopeless at this point. And that's when, after a couple of nice plays, um, an A.J. Brown pass for 13 yards, a Derrick Henry catch and run for 11 yards, Ryan Tannehill forced a pass deep over the middle, looking for Khalif Raymond. I don't know if he saw the safety he said in his press conference after the game that he knew it was going to be tight and he just got too aggressive, and the result was an interception. The safety came up, Trey Boston, and undercut the pass and managed to return it 20 yards to the Titans' 46-yard line. The defense held, forced a 49-yard field goal that was a miss by the Panthers with just six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The Titans take back over, trailing by, by 30 to 14 and they get a touchdown. Um, 10 play, 61-yard drive, drive all the way down the field. A.J. Brown had a catch. Corey Davis had a couple of catches, a nice one on third down, and uh, a fourth down, or sorry, not third down, on fourth down. Corey Davis managed to make a nice catch, and the drive ended with Ryan Tannehill scramble into the end zone for a touchdown. They went for two and did not convert, and I have a theory about this. The Titans under Mike Vrabel, are 10-0 when they score 21 points or more. They were at 20 points with this touchdown. They made that two-point conversion and didn't win the game. That 10-0 record would be tarnished. So, of course, they didn't convert, right? Panthers go three and out. The Titans defense does it, gets the ball back with just two and a half minutes left, down 10, drive all the way down the field, get to the Carolina 26-yard line and end up in fourth down. Ryan Suckup comes out for a 44-yard field goal with 52 seconds left. Now, the Titans aren't in great position to win, obviously, but the game is not over. If he hits that field goal and they miraculously recover an onside kick, they could still tie the game. But Suckup would miss his third attempt. 44-yard field goal is no good, and the Panthers would kneel it out from there. Titans lose 30-20. to That last touchdown drive when they took over with two and a half minutes was the soft coverage look that defenses will give when they just want to give up yards and let the let the offense eat clock, which the Titans did, um, and they lost. And uh, despite Ryan Tannehill throwing for over 300 yards and the offense gaining over 400 total yards, they actually gained more yards in this game than in any game yet this season. They come up way short. 
many self-inflicted wounds, a lot of penalties, way too many offensive penalties, way too many offensive line penalties, and just a brutal game to watch. So brutal, James, that uh, what did you do during this game? I turned it off the past time. <laughs> I just so I wasn't having it no more. I was like, I just I can't watch this. Yeah, it was pretty bad. The Titans only ran 15 offensive plays in the first half. At the end of the game, they only had 26 minutes time of possession to, to the Panthers, 33 minutes. They finished with 11 penalties that were accepted for 99 yards. Just a bad game. Um, they just didn't look like they were there to play. They, they weren't, I don't know, they had no energy to start off. They Just the self-inflicted wounds, a lack of focus, seems like a lack of preparation, a lack of what to expect from the defense, early sacks given up that halted drives. They were never able to get anything going in the first half. Tarek Henry only had two carries in the first half. Just malpractice by the coaching staff and by the players, honestly. Taylor Lewan can't commit back-to-back penalties. It, it just, the leaders on this team, um, like Lewan, need to need to be held accountable and they need to play better. And at this point, you, you got to point the finger at everyone. But we'll talk about the implications that this game has on the rest of the season in just a second. You know, I think it's just understanding how teams are going to play us and, and, and doing a better job of, of coming out and, you know, really, really studying how teams are going to play us. Maybe not so much what they've done on film, um, but, you know, some of the looks that we've gotten and, and some of the pressures or some of the fronts and, you know, just making sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're good to go. I mean, I felt like we, we were doing some good things and then uh, turn the football over uh, too many times there in the first half to, to really give a good evaluation uh, to where we're at and what we need to do. Okay. Yes, Mike Vrabel, we hear you, buddy. You got a game plan for the defenses and know what to expect, not just what they've done on tape, but what other defenses have done that are successful against you. Teams that you play up on the schedule are going to try that before they try anything else. You got to prove it. You cannot be beat by the same thing multiple times. Anyway, James, I want to turn it over to you really quick. There's been a lot of chatter about the difference between Mariota and Ryan Tannehill. Of course, after two straight wins... There was a lot of pro Tannehill stuff on the on the Twitter feeds and social media and chat boards and everything else. But after a loss, all of the people who staunchly supported Marcus Mariota come out to remind everyone that, hey, this team's not so good. Maybe it's not a quarterback problem. I fall somewhere in the middle. Obviously, I think that Mariota wasn't playing well, but I recognize that he never really had a much of a chance to succeed in this broken offensive system. But James, I know you have some stronger feelings on the subject, so I'm going to let you take it over. So when this whole season started, I was on the Mariota ship. I said that we need to give him a chance, and granted he had six games, and in those six games he delivered six touchdowns with two interceptions, and I think he threw for 300 yards once in that time. And he had that bad game against Denver where he threw the two picks and we decided to put in Tannehill. Tannehill looked like he brought that offense. Like he, it looks like he gave it a little bit of a jump start. 
jump start, but at the same time, he's only been marginally better than what Mariota offered. Now everyone's saying we should put Mariota back in. Uh, he deserves a second chance to see how he responds and that he's been benched and now he's had a chance to fix his mistakes. That doesn't make any sense to me because he's had five years to actually fix all these mistakes, but he's going to fix it in three games. Um, Tannehill's thrown for one less TD. While, yes, he has had the fumbles and he has had four picks, he's arguably been more aggressive in trying to throw the football. And instead of curling up to take a sack, he actually tries to find and get the ball out. So, yeah, maybe he is going to fumble a little bit more. I'm just I'm tired about hearing oh put Mariota back in put Mariota back. he had his chance he's benched and you know when people were hating on Marcus but he was a starter for the season saying oh it should have been a competition you know Tannehill should be the one starting well now Tannehill is starting and when Marcus was the starter I said we need to ride Marcus but now Tannehill's the starter I don't care about the coaching I don't care about the play calls I don't care how different the offense looks Tannehill is starting you need to accept that if Marcus or if Tannehill doesn't get injured or if anything happens to Tannehill, that's when Marcus is going to come back in until then we are riding 17 and I don't care what you tell me. I don't care about any kind of turnovers. This offense looks better with Ryan Tannehill at the helm and you cannot tell me anything else. (laughs) I mean, I think there are people out there that, don't think Mariota should still be starting, but just think that he would be doing just as well as Tannehill. Do you not agree? Because of no. the defenses were worse in the two games before the Panthers game and things like that. You don't agree? No. I mean, so Marcus had seven touchdowns in six games, right? Yep. He threw for three touchdowns in two of those games. Yep. Okay. And so that means there were four games where he only threw for one touchdown. And Tannehill's thrown for yeah total, so uh, Tannehill's what thrown for two in the past at least two, in the past three and a half games. He only he only threw one against the Panthers. He ran. He scrambled one in. He scrambled so total touchdowns. Yeah, but okay. So you're telling me that Marcus is just going to come back and this offense is going to come to life? Why wasn't it alive to begin with? Why did he get benched? Yeah, I mean, I, I, so I also want to throw a point out that's a, the that's the anti-Marcus pro Tannehill side of things. I know people are trying to take away the touchdowns he scored against the Bucks because they were easy short fields set up by, set up by the defense. But people forget that Marcus Mariota had two such touchdowns in the same against circumstance the against the Browns. So if you're going to take away those touchdowns from Tannehill, you got to take them away from Mariota as well. Seems silly to take away any touchdowns from anyone because, you know, they scored them, did they not? They count all the same. I always go back to the saying my dad used to tell me, if grandma had balls, she'd be grandpa. And (laughs) it's like, okay, yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda, if he did this or if he did that. But the fact is Tannehill scored when the defense gave him a chance to score, right? Now, I will say, the defense is Tannehill faced easier. Marcus Mariota has, has played, um has played well at random points in his career against good and bad defenses. So, I mean... Are the Broncos there a good is, defense? I mean, I, they could... They, I don't know. The point is, 
it's useless to speculate what would have happened if Marcus had played because everyone's just going to throw out their own opinion with literally nothing to ba- back it up. There's no basis for it. Um, and the fact is, like, the offense has put up more points under Tannehill for whatever the reason they're scoring more than 20 points, which they weren't doing when Mariota was the quarterback. And if they had been, they would have been winning those games based on the way the defense played. So I also think, while it's fair to wonder what Marcus would be doing if he was still a starter, if he'd be having this amount of success on offense, it's also fair to wonder where the Titans season would be right now if Ryan Tannehill had started the first six games. Because I don't think that there was a whole lot Marcus Mariota did that elevated the team. Now, I saw Tannehill make some plays in this game that elevated the team. There was a couple of sacks, at least two, maybe three, that were not sacks, that Ryan Tannehill was like basically inside a mass of people or had a defender had him wrapped up or grabbed him and he just magically got out of it and made a nice throw. He had a couple of plays like that. So, you know, there's examples of him elevating the team, you know, taking the shots into tight windows when he when Marcus wouldn't, even if you do get the interception to Khalif Raymond in this game. I can't sit here and say I was the one of the people who said I'll take those interceptions if it means the quarterback is more aggressive. So now that they're here, I have to take them. And I'm willing to take them because that's how you get the deep balls to AJ Brown that he also it was a really nice play in this game on one of their touchdown drives. So And what doesn't make sense to me is that we always would stand and deliver interceptions where like the play that AJ Brown made where he tipped it up in the air. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Whose fault is that? Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, well, it wasn't Marcus's fault. Obviously, it was A.J. Brown. But all of a sudden, now that it's Tannehill throwing the ball. Oh, no. Tannehill made that mistake. He shouldn't have thrown that ball. And I honestly like I loved Marcus Mariota. I still love the guy. I still like have a special place in my heart for him. I always will as a fan of football. But the fact is, like, as a Titans fan, I have to provide the same the same like level of scrutiny to both guys and be fair when I, when we talk about them. So I just want to remain objective. Like Tannehill, I can't honestly say that Tannehill doesn't look better, you know, and I think you're fooling yourself if you, if you can't say that. I think you are outrageously biased if you believe that Marcus provides anything better for this offense than Tannehill does. And not to say that Marcus doesn't have his own strengths and weaknesses. And like, maybe if the offense, maybe if they'd given him a real chance, you know, maybe. But I just don't think it's that worth talking about anymore because Marcus Mariota, barring a Ryan Tannehill injury, is not going to play for the Titans again, ever. The era of Marcus Mariota is over. He's definitely not going to be brought back next year. Tannehill has maybe a 50 to 60% chance of being brought back next year. Um... Now let's talk about next year because under Mike Vrabel last season, I had the impression that Mike Vrabel is a pretty good coach. He made a couple rookie mistakes, but overall I think his fourth down aggressiveness was generally good. The two point conversion. I like the attitude going for it against the chargers in London and um, coaching through all the injuries against a pretty tough schedule and managing to come out nine and seven as his, as a first time coach. I thought I had a lot of hope for what Mike Vrabel could be as a coach. So that said, right now, I don't have a whole lot of hope left. And uh, we played the clip at the very beginning of this episode, but Mike Vrabel saying the game plan is the same every week, run the ball and set up play action. If that is not just 
coach press conference speak, which keep in mind, it easily could just be what he's saying, you know, but I'm going to take that at, at face value right now. And that is a huge concern to me. He said he's involved in the offensive game planning. So to me, the problems don't just fall at the, at the feet of Art Smith and like Vrabel indirectly because he's the guy who hired them, hired him. No, it sounds like Vrabel's in the room helping come up with these game plans. And again, maybe he's just saying this to the press because he wants to, you know, cover for his guy. He doesn't want to throw somebody under the bus in public. And we have no idea what the private conversations are like. But I will say that this offseason is going to tell us a lot about what Mike Vrabel and John Robinson think of the offensive philosophy and product. Because if I just can't see any world in which Art Smith is brought back after this season, the way that they performed, barring an unbelievable, miraculous turnaround where the where you actually see significant differences in the style of football, in the aggressiveness, in the philosophy about maybe passing to set up the run, maybe running out of shotgun more often and spreading the field to keep defenders out of the box and things that we're seeing modern offenses do that we rarely, if ever, see the Titans do. But barring something like that, I'm fully out on Art Smith, which sucks because I was very high on him coming into the season. And I'm close to being fully out on Mike Vrabel. But I do think the guy that coached this team above its expectation last year is still in there somewhere, the same way that I think Marcus Mariota from 2016 is still in there somewhere. First off, I don't know why he would put his hat in the ring saying, oh, I've had a, um, a hand in calling this offense because it's been a fucking travesty. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you would put your name on that, but I mean, I guess he's owning up to the mistake because he hired Art Smith, so there's that. But dear God, are we going to lose Mike Rabel because he refuses to fire Keith Carter? Um, these are kind of the things I've been thinking of. I, I think he needs an old grizzled offensive coordinator veteran uh, at his back, kind of like he has with Dean Pease. Um, I don't know if we can do an up and comer or take another risk because if Mike Crapel takes another chance and it blows up in his face, we're looking at a new coaching staff. Yep, and uh, the nightmare scenario that we've talked about a little bit is obviously um, Mike Vrabel gets another year and the Titans spend a lot of capital to get the, their quarterback, letting Vrabel be the one to pick him, and then they find out midway through next year that Vrabel ain't it, and they have to start over and start the cycle over that Mariota went through, that Jake Locker went through, that everyone goes through. <laughs> I think uh, John Robinson needs to pick the quarterback, not Mike Vrabel. Agreed. And I think it needs to be John Robinson's guy. About John Robinson, I want to say something. I feel like there is an escalating level of who we as fans want to blame throughout a season. So, like, after a, a bad loss, it's like, oh, the quarterback, we got to change the quarterback, right? And after another bad loss, second bad loss in a row, it's like, oh, it's not just the quarterback, actually. I think it's off as a coordinator. And then after that, Loss, another bad loss or even a win where you just don't look good like the Bucks game it's like oh you know what it's not the offensive coordinator it's the head coach <clears throat> and it's just like each loss like our opinions are getting more and more extreme even though it's like the same problems and it's the same like re the losses look kind of the same but because we haven't seen change we haven't seen improvement in the areas we're looking for we're we're like just quick to ramp up and blame the next guy up the ladder. And it's gotten to the point where you're hearing 
cries of sell the team. Amy Adams Strunk's never going to field a good product. It's like, well, we haven't really given anyone a chance to fix the bad that we saw in week one and a little bit and week two, especially in week three. Like all those same bads are still there. And yes, that's an indictment on everyone in the organization. But it's also like what really how much can be changed right now? I really don't know how much success you're going to find right now that isn't just like a fake midseason spark, like a jolt that's like a very short-term gain that you your offense becomes unpredictable for a few weeks. So you have a few weeks of good-looking offense with your whoever your new play caller is or whatever. And then after a few weeks of that spark, it's over, and you're back to the same thing. It's not even worth it to me to make the changes right now. So for that reason, I hesitate to escalate my blame all the way up the ladder. And I want to talk about John Robinson, because I don't think that John Robinson really deserves all that much blame for what is for what we're seeing on the field. I want to talk it through. John Robinson is the reason that Matt LaFleur was brought in. So it's not like we can't he can't identify good offensive mind, right? Um, now, we can blame John Robinson as much as you want to for making the decision to hire a defensive-minded head coach. I'm fully on board with that blame. And hopefully that's something that he can learn from if he has to pick a new head coach or if he gets to pick a new head coach. But in the meantime, I want to focus on what he has done right. It's not John Robinson's fault that Matt LaFleur got poached by the Green Bay Packers, and maybe he should have seen it coming, but he didn't. Um, And it's not John Robinson's fault that he trusted his head coach, Mike Vrabel, to go with Art Smith. And from an in-house perspective, I mean, think about us as fans. We were all talking up this decision for the continuity. Art Smith's been there. He knows Marcus Mariotti is going to get the most out of him. And the team had a lot invested in Mariota, $20 million this year, and a, a bleak future where you're in the QB purgatory world if he isn't the guy. That's a lot of stakes. So honestly, I can fully understand the process that got John Robinson to what the team looks like today. They struck out on Art Smith, but for all they know, Art Smith could have been a Sean McVay. I mean, you you don't know the guy isn't the guy until he fails, and it sucks that he failed, but I think that John Robinson is somebody I'm willing to give a pass to because he's stocked the roster with talent on both sides of the ball, and I know that the offensive players are talented. That Some of them show flashes of it. When you see a well-blocked or a well-executed play that isn't running at the teeth of the defense, that isn't predictable before the snap, you can see what some of these players can do. You see what A.J. Brown, Johnny Smith, Derrick Henry especially, Corey Davis especially. We saw Taylor Lewan play at a Pro Bowl level in the past. We saw Jack Conklin get an all-pro nod in the past because a previous staff put him in a position to succeed. And whether or not he deserved that all-pro is up for debate, but that staff put him in a position to succeed. We see Roger Saffold play at a very high level in L.A. Even Ben Jones um, played at a high level in the past. Obviously, Nate Davis is a huge question mark and a rookie, and he's having more rookie-growing pains than you'd care to see. But at the end of the day, John Robinson put talented players there, and it's not his fault that the coaching staff isn't getting the most out of these players. And it's crazy to me that I honestly believe Mike Malarkey would be getting more out of this roster. And that doesn't mean that Mike Malarkey is the right guy. And it doesn't mean he shouldn't have been fired because he plateaued as well. But the fact that Vrabel was brought into this roster and this team is worse this year than it was last year with all the injuries, with a quarterback who couldn't feel his hand, with 
the defense having being in the second year in their system now and playing so well, but the team still is worse is mind boggling. Malarkey and I think didn't that get is fired. Right. Malarkey didn't get fired. He quit because he wouldn't sorry, fire Terabisky. Okay, I think that he was still released though, terminated. Yeah. But and at the same time, I'm not going to fault J Rob because he's always drafted to what his coaches need. Like we had an exotic Smash Mouth, exotic Smash Mouth. So he was drafting those kind of players. Uh, and same thing, I think he want, uh, Mike Vrabel wants a hard-nosed football team, and that's the players that you see him drafting. I think uh, Robinson's always going to be a, a scout. He's That's where he cut his teeth. And so that's where you're going to see him excel. But his coaching decisions and picks have been kind of questionable. Um, I thought Vrabel... While I did fall in love with Rabel, like with who he is, kind of he came in and swooned the shit out of me. But maybe it was a little too soon because what he jumped from linebackers coach to DC to head coach like immediately. And I think we could have gone elsewhere, but I mean, there was the Patriot connection. I, I, I don't know. Like, I think Mike Vrabel is is a good leader of a team. This is why I'm willing to give him a, the, another year. I think he can be a good leader. He just has no real knowledge of the offense. And because of that, I don't really have that much faith in his ability to build an offensive staff that's competent. Like, how does Mike Vrabel know if Keith Carter knows what he's doing as an O-line coach? Mike Vrabel played on the defensive side of the ball and coordinated and coached on the defensive side of the ball. So I don't know if he's going to be able to put together a good offense. So for that reason, I wouldn't, if Mike Vrabel gets another season, I would actually prefer the Titans don't draft a quarterback because I would hate for them to repeat that cycle that we, that I already mentioned earlier. And so run it back with Tannehill, see if Vrabel can identify a good offensive mind. If he can't go get an offensive minded head coach. Um, now that said, I would definitely take Jay Gruden as the head coach of this team starting right now or next year. But I mean, I'm willing to see because I do think that it's important that the next guy you hire is someone who who has a firm grip on offense. I don't care if they I don't care about defense and defense doesn't win football games anymore, you know, so. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I'm just I'm ready for the season to be over so I can stop talking about the quarterback. I'm ready to move on. Now, we will talk about the Chiefs more later this week, but at the end of the day, like this game is not going to change my opinion about this team anymore. I'm right. I'm already I'm already past the point of Never like time. being pulled we're, back we're in. Midway through the season, it's, the experiment is not over, but I'm tired of waiting. And here's another thing. Um, Mike wrote this today. Mike wrote a great piece for Music City Miracles. Mike Herndon at Mike Miracles wrote a great piece for Music City Miracles today. A loss filled with what-if moments leads to a week filled with what's-next questions for the Titans. Highly recommend you check this article out. But the reason I bring it up is because he mentions the offenses that are coming up on the Titans' schedule. The Titans' final seven games are all against teams that currently rank in the top 12 in offensive DVOA after playing just one such team in the first nine games. Malcolm Butler has a broken wrist, which depending on the severity of the injury, could keep him out anywhere from a month to the rest of the season. If the Titans... So Mike Vrabel's thing is defense, right? 
So here's a here's a scenario I want you to ponder. These next seven games against teams that rank in the top 12 in offensive DVOA with no Malcolm Butler, Jarrell Casey limited or questionable, or I don't know if he's going to be back for the next game. What if the defense falls apart, collapses? They've never been ranked that high in DVOA this season anyway, despite being pretty good in raw stats and keeping scores low. Um, if the defense implodes over the... If they go 1-6, and 2-5 and five over the last seven games, is Mike Vrabel going to keep his job? I don't know. That's, that's the big what-if to me. And I could easily see that happening. Just a horrible stretch of seven games where the defense suddenly doesn't look good anymore because the offenses they're facing are suddenly much better than the ones they've played. Well, I don't know how much I would put on the defense if the offense can't stay on the field. So if if we're going real quick or if the offense is just going three and outs from bad play calls, whatever you want to call it, uh, I don't know how much blame I can put at the defense's feet. Oh, for sure. And I'm not trying to say the defense played a bad game last week. They they were on the field so much and they got a lot of big stops early on. There were really just a few plays that changed the whole course of the game. You know, the the fake punt, the uh, the fourth down play in the red zone for the Panthers when they got Christian McCaffrey in the end zone. So, yeah, I'm not trying to say the defense has played bad to this point, but I'm saying over the next seven games, they have to play a lot better teams and they suddenly might not be the same defense we've seen, especially with no Malcolm Butler. Yeah, I, I mean, LaShawn Sims got worked by Mike Evans in the one game he had to play. Yeah, somebody's going to have to step up in that secondary. Uh, maybe we see more money hooker in, you know, nickel and dime packages. So, Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, especially because they were comparing him to Logan Ryan. Yeah, if, well, we'll see. He hasn't played a lot of corner for the Titans. He's been playing that safety role a lot, a lot more. So. But who knows? Maybe, I mean, he does have a versatility. We shall see. We shall see. It's a lot to ask of a rookie there, but we shall see. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the Chiefs game next time? Yeah, yeah. let's preview the Chiefs a bit later this week, and um, that'll be what we do next. All right. Sit tight. Sit tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. All right. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Music City Miracles. That's where you'll find us and MCM Radio with Jimmy and Terry. Follow James on Twitter. Take out your phone right now. I don't care what you're doing. Take out your phone. Go to Twitter. Search at South Texas Titan. Find that page. Click that follow button. I'm at Titans Film Room. And uh, that's it.